Hello, everybody. I'm here with a good friend of mine, YouTuber Desiree. Uh, if you want to find her on YouTube, you got to spell out Desiree, R-A-E, two words with a hyphen between them. Uh, lovely girl. I met her at the International Conference on Men's Issues. Uh, you wouldn't maybe think that she would be a speaker at an event like that. Just look at her. Clearly a man-hater. Uh, but, uh, but no, no, she's... She's got some really brilliant ideas, and uh, we're here to discuss some of them. So let's talk about, I do want to talk about this, something, a video I've wanted to do for quite some time, talk about uh, U.S. women's soccer. So U.S. women's soccer um, has been petitioning for quite some time to get equal pay to um, the male soccer players, the male U.S. soccer players. Um, And the women's soccer players, obviously, um, are significantly better within their uh, league than the male team is in their league. And so their thinking is, since we're the best in their league, they should get paid as much as the men who are not quite as successful in their league. I sent you some videos on this, specifically interviews with Megan Rapino, who um, I currently believe is the single most annoying person in America. What, what did you think about that stuff? What did you think about what they had to say? Uh, well, first of all, I was telling you earlier that I think that Megan Rapino is not, it's not that wrong. difficult to listen That's to. That's wrong. I think she comes across as <laughs> sort of pleasant, <laughs> but I don't like mm. what she has to say. Um, so you, Chris sent me some clips. It was one with Megan Rapino and Kristen Press. And then was, there was a third one uh, with Ali Krieger. And they're all basically saying that they don't want to debate this anymore. They're apparently going to court over receiving equal pay as the men from the Federation. I think that what they're saying on the face of it, as it usually does, sounds all fine and dandy. But if you look behind the scenes, it doesn't really make any sense. What Megan and Kristen and Ali are asking for is other people's money. And what they provide as, I'm assuming, talented soccer players is entertainment value to people who come to support them or to watch their shows. And in this case, there's some national pride involved. But at the end of the day, they're receiving other people's money that they have earned and decided it's worth it to spend their money to support Mm -hmm. these people who are playing. You can't decide what that monetary value is. The only way that I could see what they're asking for making sense is if they were focusing on the proportion of the pay that they're receiving from the revenue that the Federation is collecting. I don't know what the actual numbers are. I would like to see that, especially I was thinking, watching this, they're not saying how much money they're earning. They're just talking about more the logic and it would probably make people not want them to earn more because they're probably earning. Oh yeah, I've looked a into the numbers. They definitely make a lot more <laughs> than I do, uh, basically playing a game. So <laughs> doing what they want to do in right. life. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that they're leaving the numbers out to, and they're garnering sympathy, and they're probably very well off. When management gets money, they have to spend it on many different things, promotion or administrative stuff and equipment, for example. And then I guess some of that, or I'm not sure what the proportion is. Well, they get a salary. Players. I also don't know. That, if which is players, a different thing than, yeah. So oh, they, they and, and this is not something that they, I think they decided. I think all of, of the women of the various teams across the league 
uh, you know, throughout the world, decided that it's better for them to get a salary, a fixed salary, than to be paid proportionally, I think, with regard to, like, how good they are, right? Um, wh- whereas with the men- men's soccer, I think it's yeah. different. I think they get play- paid more like basketball players. Oh, well, th- that would be the first thing, that if they're, they, if they're trying to talk about getting the same amount of pay, then it has to be modeled based mm-hmm. off of what the men are doing. And I, I was just going to say, I'm not sure if each individual um, within the team is paid the same amount or if a certain star player would get more money um, because if they're asking that's like that would be the exact same scenario playing out within the women's uh, soccer team once they were all being paid as much as they want compared to the men some players Even, are getting yeah, paid Yeah, more. exactly. There would be I'm a wealth sure. disparity by merit, right, which I don't really that. see as a huge problem. But uh, what did you think about their uh, right. resistance to going to the White House? Oh, right. Well, I, I was going to uh, mention that. That was particularly Ali, Ali Krieger. She described Trump <laughs> right. as an oppressor. And uh, I think that that is ignoring the fact that many people voted for Trump. So he is actually a symbol of the needs or wants and desires of about almost half of the population, the U.S. population, uh, legal population. I thought that was doesn't make any sense. And then I also just thought it was disrespectful to do that, even if she doesn't particularly uh, oh. like him. So that's yeah, what I, I thought I, you know, about if, that. If- Barack Obama wanted me to meet with him for some reason, I certainly would not tell him, you know, I disagree with your policies and therefore I think you're a horrible person. And I think we tie um, political ideas to personal ethical morality and, you know, how good of a person you are now. At least the left tends to do that with the right. Um, I I think that's the wrong way to look at things. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I do think that Trump is trying to make the country better, whether you agree with him or not. And I think that that's something to to respect. You know, not everybody wants to be president um, to make the country better. Some people want to do it for their own personal gain, fame and power and fortune. But I, I don't think that's true about Trump. I, you know, I think he genuinely wants to make the country better. I would like to talk a little bit about what I think about this equal pay situation. But first... I have to torture my viewers just a little bit. So if you'll excuse me if I take a break to present to the audience an ad. Imagine if you had received a personal invitation to invest $50 in Uber when it was just a startup. On IPO day, you could have made $248,250. That same $50 invested in Amazon before it IPO'd could have made you over $7 million. Mike Marcula was Apple's first angel investor. On IPO day, his windfall was already 220,552%. But that was when Apple was only worth $1.8 billion. Think about how much Markula's net worth grew as Apple blazed a path to becoming the first $1 trillion company in U.S. history. And without him, iPhones, Apple Watches, iPads, and other devices that we use in our daily lives may never have been invented. Look at these surprising returns from these popular startup companies. One of these earned 583, 264% revenue surge. What would you rather be, an angel investor or an IPO investor? The The choice is clear as day. How would you feel if you could lock in a ground floor opportunity in the hottest startups this year that everybody's fighting for? Fortunately, Shark Tank's Robert Herjavec and his team of ultra-successful angel investors, they're here to help deliver angel deals with life-changing upside delivered to you on a silver platter. 
Watch the free video at GetAngelRich.com or click the link in the description to see how you can participate in these potentially lucrative deals before the mainstream finds out about them. That's GetAngelRich.com. All right, we're back. Sorry about that, folks, but you know what? I got to make money somehow. All right, right, so these are my thoughts on the equal pay situation, and and I want to see what you have to think about this. These are two different leagues, right? You get the men's league and you get the women's league. Now, in the men's league, you have some of the most famous men alive play for men's soccer around the world. And so you have people all over the world going to these games, and there's billions of dollars flooding into this league, this men's league. Outside of the United States, women's soccer isn't that big of a deal. Nobody watches women's soccer outside the United States. There's a, uh, an interview that Jimmy Kimmel did with these women, and, they, and he says, why do you think you girls are so dominant in soccer? Why do you think that the American, that the U.S. team is so dominant in the sport? Well, I can tell you why. It's because nobody else cares about women's soccer. I mean, the, the American team is the only one that... That you know, the United States is the only country that really invests in women's soccer. Everybody else is investing in men's soccer, right? And so you've got these you know countries, tons of countries around the world, billions of dollars is going out on television all over the world. They're making so much money that they just have more money to give each team. Even so, like if you're if you go to a boxing match, um, the heavyweights are going to make more money than the featherweights, right? That's just always going to be true. And, I mean, unless you have, like, a superstar featherweight uh, boxer, but the vast majority of the time, the heavyweights are going to make more money. Now, is that fair? No. The lightweight guys, they're working just as hard as the heavyweight guys. It's just there isn't as much demand to watch a lightweight fight than there, you know, as there is for the heavyweight fights because everybody wants to watch the top guys. Because everybody knows if a lightweight guy gets in the ring with a heavyweight guy, the heavyweight guy is going to knock him out real quick. So they want to know who the best of the best of the best of the best is. And if you took the women's soccer team and, you know, the, the, the U.S. women's soccer team, and you placed them up against the absolute best men's soccer team in the world, they would get crushed. And everybody knows that. If you put them up against the worst men's soccer team, uh, in, in, the, in the professional league, they would probably get crushed. The question is, do you take the best of the, you know, the lightweight league and you give them the same pay as the players in the heavyweight league? I don't, I don't think you can do that. And it's not necessarily because you don't appreciate their effort or you don't like to watch them. I mean, unless this sport the women's version of this sport becomes as popular as the men's version of this sport, I don't see how they could possibly pay the women as much as they're paying the men. That's my position. I do agree with that. I was actually trying to think of a solution and something I could compare it to is I think that there are um, companies now who are who have as part of their marketing efforts the fact that they're very ethical and i think companies never used to focus on that some of the time like for example they say that they have the fair trade it's like they pay yeah, fair trade fair trade third yeah. world country fair right like the right amount of pay and that's something that was sort of advocated for i think if the women could somehow convince the audience to care more i don't know how they would do that then they could ask for that but you can't demand just demand yeah yeah they talk about in the these interviews how all the fans support them and the United States is supporting them and everything like that. And that's great. 
you know, it, it, but honestly, it doesn't really matter. Because unless you can get the rest of the world to, to sit up and notice and pay attention, the money's just not going to be there. Because the, the money that the right. U.S. can generate is a lot, but it's nothing compared to the money that the whole world can generate, you know, watching this sport. Right. I also really want to want to stress like the fact that these women are feeling entitled to other mm-hmm. people's money because at the end of the day it's other people's money it's not just the federation and when people have these discussions it's as if they just they just forget where the money comes from and they're only looking at the middle the middle person the medium that allows that exchange um, to happen and something else I wanted to say too is I really really didn't like I have a big issue with this. Um, Megan uh, and um, Kristen, yeah, talking about how they were for Mm. women everywhere. And they were talking about we as women. And I'm positive that there are many women who aren't on board with what they're going after. So I I hate when uh, people make themselves the Mm -hmm. spokesperson of particular. Yeah, and this is actually this is actually kind of a big issue uh, for you. This uh, identifying with a group as opposed to as an Uh, individual. Yeah, Yeah, I'm quite. Um, big on that. I I don't know what the other women on uh, the the U.S. soccer team, women's soccer team, think. I'm only hearing from Megan and Kristen and and Ali, and I also don't know what a lot of other female soccer players think. I mean, I can I can assume perhaps proportions or percentages, but until I have some kind of data, um, I can assume that right. it's not uniform, even if there were yeah. there was a majority. So um, I see this happen in, in everything for gender or, you know, like LGBT groups, uh, for race too. Like people pretend to be able to speak for everyone else. Um, but ultimately, you, you just can't do that because people's thoughts are, and opinions mm-hmm. aren't universal. So that's just an, an issue. I'm going to, to shift gears a little bit and I'm going to talk about you, Desiree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to go through and just read off some of the videos that you have posted, the, the titles to some of these videos. Okay. Um, let's see. The last one you've you've okay. uh, made is called "Female Engineers?" Question mark. Affirmative action and feedback. I have a I have a, a brilliant position on this, which is I, I think brilliant, <laughs> uh, which is that I think affirmative action actually hurts. Um, the people that it's supposed to protect, right? Because everybody knows which groups are classified as affirmative action. And so if you are the best engineer and you're, you happen to be a black woman, uh, people are going to think that you were held to a different standard uh, when you went through school and when you got hired because you are a black woman. You could be better than everybody else in your class. You could be better at every, than everybody else in your office, but people are going to think you're worse because of the standard of affirmative action. Oh, yeah, I uh, I agree with that. I think it hurts. Um, hurts the people. Affirmative action hurts the people that it claims to be protecting. But I also have a, another perspective um, apart from the stigma being attached uh, to a group, which is that it stops people from being able to grow and have character development through the form of feedback. Because if you're being told that you're as good as uh, someone else when you're not, then that doesn't allow you to acquire the skills that you can then use to compete with the other person. Because you think you already have it. 
No, yeah, I, I, I really go down to the, the more like moral core of, of these things. Um, it quite disgusts me, actually. Sorry, I, you know, I, I, I shouldn't <laughs> I have, have commented on that video. I really just want to read off the titles, and I, and I instantly, I'm like, I'm like, okay. oh, I do, yeah. I want to talk about this one. <laughs> the, just the first one. All right, um, why I like yeah. coffee spelled with a K. I, I don't actually know what that is. Can you tell me what coffee is spelled with a K? Oh, that's a Jamaican um, artist, like music artist. That's not usually what my content is about, but there's just a, um, I'm not even sure what to call her, if it's reggae oh. or dancehall. She's just a, an artist and she makes music that has a lot, doesn't have a lot of the, um, the sexual oh. proclivities that a lot okay, of I'll have to listen music to her. that sounds like that has. And so I admire I'll have to check her out. That's that. great. Yes. Um, um, it's a beautiful accent. It's 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 charming. I think people I think people in America tend to. Do you get a positive response for having a bit of a Jamaican accent? It's not very strong. You have a very very light Jamaican accent. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, it hurts my heart whenever people say that. It's like, oh, I don't even hear it. I'm like, oh my god, I'm yeah, just say "mon" all the time. I mean, <laughs> people will. No, I actually, you, people actually say that more um, quite frequently over there. Um, <clears throat> Yes, I do get a positive. Yeah, a yeah, very it's, it's cool. I think people, people like Jamaica. I think there's a. I don't know what yeah. it is. There's because I've never been to Jamaica, but it seems cool to me. I'd like to visit. Yeah, it's yeah. a cool place. <laughs> it's different. Is there there's... something about In Jamaicans ways. that move to the United States where they kind of reject the left? Because I have another good friend who's Jamaican. He's actually running for uh, for office here in uh, California soon. Yeah, um, I'm going to do a video with him soon. Hi, Merrill Weber. Hello, everyone, and how are you doing? 7.5 million Californians live in poverty. That is 19% of California's population. Might as well call it 20%, considering all the uh, tons of people coming in from the the southern border, but that's another issue. We don't want to keep pouring money into welfare programs. We actually did an interview, but he shifted. He was going to do... He's going to run for vice governor, or what is it, lieutenant governor of California, and I think he's switching up his race to run as a congressman. So we're going to maybe push that interview and and post that later. Um, Awesome guy. Um, I was just going to say it is a a common thread for, um, I think, just a lot of the ideas that you hair over hair just didn't mm. exist where I'm from so it's all quite nonsense really okay yeah so the left doesn't exist in the same way in Jamaica as it does here well the left ex- well most of government in mm-hmm. Jamaica is left leading in terms of fiscally um they're about like running large government programs to help people so it's kind of socialistic in its mindset but has mm. gone into a lot of uh. debt because of it I actually have a video on my channel that specifically talks about Jamaica um, so in terms of the fiscal stuff, yes, but in terms of the social mm. stuff, not at all. They're very traditional. No, none of, none of Christian. I assume Chris, traditional Christian stuff. people. No, in Jamaica, yeah. Yes, yes. That's great. I gotta visit Jamaica. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. I mean, it's not all. Oh, there's good people and bad people in every that group. That is Come the problem. The f- yeah. Social. Fund. And they do smoke a lot of weed. I understand. Yeah. Okay. yeah yes, I know. Yeah. Oh no. No. Yes and no. Yes and okay. no. Certain people, obviously. I, it's significant, but then there are also people who sure, are Sure, of course, of course. It, yeah, yeah. Like of, of course, of course. Uh, uh, journal, is journalism dying? Jeffrey Epstein, a different perspective. Um, I, I hope by a different perspective you don't mean uh, you're defending Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> no. Well, no, I just got into more like, of course, moral yeah. issues. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to... Yeah, we won't go through everyone. I just want to read some of these. The rise of transgender kids, the intellectual diversity crisis, the existence of Belle Delphine. 
uh, which I, I heard about through another YouTuber's video, but I haven't actually uh, looked too much into that. She's just a bit of a weird, uh, overly sexualized young girl, right? Uh, uh, in this, yes. in this country, um, America. I don't know what that's about. That sounds good. Um, you got a big American flag behind you. I love that. Uh, Trump's tr- Trump's go back to your country comments. So you are you are like tapping into all of the sort of major issues. Oh, and then you've got a this one is a pretty big video for you. Uh, it got a lot more hits than your n- normal stuff or your usual videos. It's called Thoughts on the New Aerial Casting for the Little Mermaid. And I watched this video, and I, I actually disagree with you a little bit. Uh, uh, you, 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 you know, th- there was okay. that hashtag, um, not my Ariel or something like that, right? Or something, yeah. But, yeah, it's, yeah, that, was but that was mostly posted by leftists who are basically criticizing what they thought the right wing would say about Ariel. And it wasn't about, yeah. like, I would never post Not My Ariel. I guess I just don't care that much about the movie The Little Mermaid. I did see the girl, the, the actress that's going to play Ariel. She's a very beautiful girl. Um, she, she looks sort of like a Disney type. You know, the big eyes and, you know, the cute face and just, just very Disney looking. Um, and she seems like she's actually relatively well cast in the role of a Disney character, um, but I, I really am strongly against changing the races of iconic characters. Um, I don't care if it's black, white, Asian, whatever. <clears throat> In my mind, if it's an iconic character, it's an iconic character for a reason, right? And, and everything about that character should be as well-preserved as possible. Um, they've just done this with um, this movie, um, David Copperfield. Uh, they, they've made a movie about David Copperfield, the old, uh, not the magician, but the old uh, Charles Dickens novel. And they've cast uh, an Indian actor as David Copperfield. And this drives me nuts because, I mean, I've read a lot of, uh, Char- uh, you know, I've read a lot of Dickens novels. I haven't actually read David Copperfield. But there is this, okay, in the 19th century in Britain, uh, I don't think there were a lot of Indian guys. First of all. Secondly, David Copperfield was an English uh, kid, right? That was the the stories about an Englishman, a white Englishman. And like Superman, right? Uh, He has a very specific story. Um, To me, these characters are, are, are successful for very specific reasons. And your race is a huge aesthetic... Uh, uh, you know, difference that you have from other people. And I honestly love the fact that there's different races in the world. I love the fact that there's different cultures, and I love the fact that I can go to Germany and see people in Lederhosen, and I can go to Japan and see, you know, people in kimonos or whatever it is that they're going to be wearing over there, whatever traditional uh, sort of cultural aesthetic that you that you can find in the various different countries. I love that you can go to the different countries and see all that diversity and, and differences. But uh, and and I do think that you should try to. So okay, so part of this is because I'm a writer, and I love trying to maintain the integrity of the original writing as much as possible. So this is to me less of a racial issue and more of a respect for the author issue or respect for the original material issue. Um, as a writer, that's very important to me. Uh, that said, um, if, <clears throat> if there is a need for 
more black people or Indian people or whatever in films, in you know, or in novels or whatever stories that are told using these, you know, people of particular races as the primary characters, write new brilliant stuff, right? And you do mention that in your video. You say, you know, we can we can design new characters that are black or whatever. To me, that's the way forward. And I think part of that is because I think part of the the reason I think that is because as a writer, I love to see new material. I love to see new ideas. And just taking a previous uh, uh, story or a previous uh, character that's iconic, that's part of a culture, and just changing it around to fit some kind of political narrative, you know, to push some kind of political idea, to me that's like cultural theft. And... You know, it's not. It's, I don't think it's black producers who are doing this. I think it's probably some white producers at Disney saying, "Oh, we should put a black character in," right? And the reason that they're doing that isn't because it's actually going to be helpful to the to the world. It's because they want a virtue signal and say, "Look how not racist." I'm so not racist that I'm actually going to change this iconic character from white to black. That's how non-racist I am, and it's annoying. And it's annoying to everybody. They actually had a study. I, I, I could maybe post it. People become very irritated when you change little things uh, you know, about something that they love already, that they already have some kind of a, a, an attachment to. In its study, The Role of Arousal in Congruity-Based Product Evaluation, it was demonstrated that when people are presented with products that are otherwise exactly as expected, except just changing one very apparent thing, like the color, they actually show genuine psychological signs of anxiety. Thus, things like a drink that tastes exactly as people expect a brown cola to taste but is clear literally makes people's pulses rise and their perspiration increase. You notice this when they changed the James Bond character when um, Daniel Craig got the role because people were saying his hair is too light to be James Bond. <laughs> they didn't change his race. They didn't change his gender. They changed his flipping hair color and people lost their minds, right? If you just change some little thing about something that people like love, it really irritates them because they love that thing. They don't want to see it manipulated by somebody. But but you, you actually thought that... Uh, that it was a fine change and you didn't think that it was a problem, really? Well, I thought that I could see the multiple, the multiple mm -hmm. perspectives, um, including what you mentioned, and that it, it wasn't necessarily due to racism, what, the, what you specifically just said. However, at the same time, I personally think that the race of a character is a minor detail in terms of the more universal themes of a story in terms of character development and what traits the, the character might have apart from their physical it's true. traits. That's a good point. So, That's a good point. And I also would rather that they just they just made a a different mm -hmm. story. Like I think they were just being lazy. <laughs> and I also don't like the virtue right, signaling right. of it either. Um, so I was just saying that I think there are multiple right. perspectives. Um, and I think that she she could sing, which is what I thought was important for Ariel. Um, however, I I I really really don't like the virtue signaling aspect uh, of culture today, and that it's always a commentary on society. You know, it's it's not just that what I mentioned, where it's more focusing on the universal um, uh, themes within a story. It's definitely due to politics as well. So I don't like that. I actually still have not watched um, Black Panther because I'm just like, I don't want to watch this until 
the political stuff is out of this. Like, I wish I were a kid and could just watch yeah. this without knowing all the other things that, that are going on so that I can really just appreciate it. It's actually not that story. bad. It's actually um, not that bad. I watched Black Panther and it didn't seem overtly political to me. I think it became more political because people were like, oh, it's finally a Marvel film that's like with black people. And But even that's better than um, the Ariel stuff. Well, I'll tell you what I think about the Ariel specifically. You're right. You're right. It's its own story, which is fantastic. That's the kind of thing that I think should be done, right? Like a, like Black Panther or something like that, or Blade. Blade's a black uh, superhero. I haven't Blade's seen great. that. Everybody Blade's a great series of films. Um, what, what, and I would never want to see Blade turned white. Like to me, that would be a tragedy, right? He has a very specific backstory. He's a very specific type of a character. Um, you know, Wesley Snipes did a beautiful job bringing him to life in the films, uh, and I would never want to see that character made into a white character or an Asian character or something like that. Okay, so the Ariel thing, I don't think matters as much as it would matter if it was like Superman or something like that, because I don't think, I mean, there are definitely people who love The Little Mermaid, you know, from, from their childhood or whatever, but I don't think The Little Mermaid is as iconic as some other characters. I, I just don't think people care that much about Ariel uh, enough to, to so that they would like tweet about it you know if they were like oh why would they make this major change but I, I have to disagree with you about race being a small thing I think race is a very very um, um, big thing there is a very strong difference in aesthetic I mean there is to me it's such an aesthetic difference I mean you can't people who say well I'm colorblind or something like that they're either lying or they're just they're, they're very very intentionally forcing themselves not to think about that you could definitely tell if somebody's black or somebody's white or somebody's Asian I mean there is distinct differences and I think that that is that makes um, that makes a character take on a different um, well in, in, in film they have this uh, thing called mise-en-scene it's a sort of just general feeling that you get from a film like from the you know from everything right um, and the mise-en-scene changes completely if you swap out one race for another. And I, I know a lot of leftists like to say, well, race is a construct. It doesn't really exist. It's not a real thing. No, I think it, it's a real thing. I think it's a beautiful thing. I, I like to embrace our differences and not to ignore them. Um, and so to, but to me, it's a major, major uh, difference to, to take Blade from black and make him white or take Superman and make him white, to, you know, and making him black. You know, to me, that's a that's a kind of a foul thing to do. You you, you want to maintain the the integrity of the characters, especially if they're iconic. I know you already said it, but I I don't agree with you. Um, Race in terms being of important, yeah. The importance yeah, sure. of that, um, in terms of uh, the um, like sometimes like where a person comes from, um, in the in terms of the story, it might be important. The race mm -hmm. would be important, but I think if if it comes to I don't know, like more universal themes, um, like overcoming some kind of struggle or mm -hmm. stuff with your parents. And then I think um, the actual look of the person might not be that important. So it depends. Sometimes well, I, think I don't it think can it's be the most the story, important and sometimes uh, I think thing, but I think it's significant. So, well, we can disagree on that. I don't mind. <laughs> so... I did two videos called "The Problem with Black Culture." Obviously, this is a bit of a uh, this is oh, a bit I of a dangerous <laughs> subject to tread for a white man. I uh, now, I, I was really um, uh, thrilled with the response I got uh, from these videos because anytime you post a video like this, the people about which you're doing the video, right? And, and granted, 
essentially this any problem with any culture within a broader society is going to affect everybody in society, right? But I'm specifically addressing problems with black culture, so it's going to most specifically, uh, you know, pertain to black people. And I was absolutely thrilled to see uh, how many positive responses I got from black people. It was like, people need to listen to this. This is correct. Like, as a black man, I support this message. Or as a black woman, like, I was not raised like this, but I know people like this is a bad thing. I want to be able to open these discussions up to everybody to be able to talk about them. Um, but I'm curious as to what your perspective on this is, because I, I know you did watch those videos. I agreed with a lot of what you Which were saying. Which one did you watch? Um, in the, the problem with... I watched the one where you, you highlighted that the oh, woman the, the who was... The strong black woman. ...calling yeah, the yeah. Cuban guy, you know, like, telling... Oh, right, mm-hmm. sorry, yeah, I watched that one. That's the one I watched. And uh, that one made a lot of sense to me. Um, since being in the U.S., it, it's something... I mean, it's it's like boring to me now but when i first encountered it i was like what the hell because jamaican culture is very Um, different from black american culture oh yeah yeah oh yeah sorry i i um i also take issue with the term black culture because i think it doesn't exist however we kind of clarified that a lot of times when people in america say black culture they they really mean in america but it still irritates me because there's so many black people around the world Mm -hmm. and they don't have the same culture as yeah, uh, let me let me clarify. Uh, so you, you you and I you have know. a difference of, of, so, of opinion about whether or not black culture is really a thing. But the the difference is really just a a, um, right. a difference in uh, classification. So when American says black culture, yes. what they really mean is American black culture. Uh, and when you hear black culture, you want you think of it as a universal thing, all black people around the world. Uh, whereas I don't think most Americans, yeah, right, right, black. but most Americans think of when they think of black people, they think of African-American specifically. Um, they don't think of Jamaican. Jamaican is a very specific culture, or, or African cultures are, are very specific cultures outside of what we would consider black culture. Because black culture in America, we're, we're almost always referencing American black. I've never heard somebody say black culture and thought that they were referencing black people all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> but but you you get that sense because you're from Jamaica. Yeah, and I, I mean, right? That that's what I think, and it's it's something that actually quite like kind of irritates me that everybody does um, here. And like, there are the thing about it is that there are commonalities between like cultures that have predominant um, African mm-hmm. descendants among them. However, people see those and they don't realize that like your day to day life and your mindset between across those cultures differ mm-hmm. greatly. So it's not to say that you couldn't, if you if you wanted to like link those things, you could, um, like say for example, like dancing or I don't know, like speech patterns. I I don't know what it's things like that or affinity for like certain kinds of music or um, if you want to look at. Do you it think those have a genetic sense. component? So I'm not saying that. Or just cultural influence? Do you think that's like a gen- there's a genetic component to that, or do you think it's more just cultural influence over across different cultures throughout the world? Um, I don't know. I think it's multifaceted. Mm-hmm. So I would say yes. Mm-hmm. I would say for both. I would say yes yeah. for both. I think it's it's. I think you can't just fit it into one thing. I think you see multiple manifestations. So you could say there's genetic and then you could also say it's cultural. And then you also see people deviate. Yeah, yeah well, for sure, as well. for sure. Um, so like the like a lot of these discussions, I feel like people see the world in boxes 
and I see oh, like yeah. clusters. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So you know, um, that's how that's kind of how I. I well, the reason I, I ask the about the genetic now, component is because the on the left there is there is this common assertion that if you recognize significant genetic differences between the races, that's a racist perspective. And I, I'm not a geneticist. I couldn't tell you one way or another how significant the differences are between you know, white people generally and black people generally and Hispanics generally and the you know, Arabs generally or anything like that. I, I couldn't tell you what those significant differences are. But I'm open to the possibility that there are significant genetic differences. Um, and the, I, to me, it, it's really... Um, counterproductive to just assume that there is not. It's a much safer thing to do socially to assume that there are no differences because then you right. can't ever be accused of being racist because a genetic difference uh, could potentially lead someone to believe in a genetic superiority or inferiority. Right. And, and I, and I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not advocating that kind of idea, but I do think in terms of just perceiving the world accurately, uh, you know, in terms of just biology, uh, you need to accept certain realities. And it frustrates me that we're in a position where there is so much perceived racism that we're not allowed to even think about these things accurately, which bothers me. But, but you're open to the possibility that there are some significant differences genetically between races. Um, I, I think that's true. I actually somewhat self-censor myself now when it comes to Yeah, I to do too, topic, actually. I don't I try not to get the into social that. Atmosphere, I... <laughs> I actually think it, it doesn't really matter in terms of people feeling inferior or superior. I think you don't need um, any of that information. You're to so right. I think it would exist so regardless. Right. <laughs> um, so I think it's sad that we, mm -hmm. we can't talk about it because I also have a very curious and mm -hmm. analytical mind. So I don't mind yeah. thinking about these things, but I, I think a lot of people do. So hopefully one day... Well, my position, and I think this comes like from a, I now, think this comes from like a is. Christian upbringing, is that I judge people on like how good of a person they are, and I, I know we probably shouldn't judge each other so much anyway. But but like if I perceive you as a good person, I'm probably going to like you. If I perceive you as an ill-willed person or a bad person, I'm probably not going to like you. And that's it. You know, it's an individual thing. And you got good people and bad people who are black. You have good people and bad people who are white. Uh, you have good people and bad people who are smart, stupid, rich, poor. I mean, every kind of major demographic that you can break people into, you're going to find people who are at least attempting to be ethical, decent people. And you're going to find people who are ill-willed, selfish, you know, kind of horrible people. And so to me, that is the distinguish, distinguishing line between you know, whether I'm going to appreciate person, whether I think of a person as inferior or superior. <laughs> uh, and, and to me, there's no, there's, there's no real racial boundary between trying to be a good person and, and being willing to be a sort of selfish and, and horrible person. Um, and, and therefore, to me, identifying racial groups is really irrelevant. Um, and, 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 and racism is irrelevant. All the racial stuff is really irrelevant when it comes to uh, a, a sort of, um, I think, an appropriate appreciation of, of different kinds of people. Um, but I, I, I do recognize that there are racists in the world, and I do recognize that we don't want to, you know, whatever they call it on the left, embolden them with certain kinds of data or whatever. But like you said, it's, it doesn't matter to them. They don't need to know the facts. They're going to feel inferior or superior regardless of, da of data. 
I, I do actually think that. I really think that it doesn't actually matter as much as people think it does. Um, uh, I think that people who have insecurities will find a way to feel superior mm. over others. I think that if someone, if you actually felt you were inferior, superior to someone in some way, you'd probably feel compassion towards them. Like that's what we do for, you know, like if you would go and get something for a child because right. they couldn't right. do it. Right. Yeah, because like a child it, is I, physically so inferior that, that is to what I, an adult because we're bigger and we're stronger. Right. right. Like, so it's, it's more about mal- malicious mm-hmm. intent and that will exist whether or not the, um, the data, as you put it, is there. But um, because we can't speak about these things, I think that a lot of uh, groups, um, mainly meaning non-white groups, um, are sheltered. And that's something sheltered from criticism, which is kind of in what you video, were yeah. talking about in your, in your video. And that's something that has bothered me. You, you make such a good point about um, feeling sympathetic to the child. If the child can't reach the top shelf, you go and get the thing for him, whatever. <clears throat> I actually think that this does exist in um, American culture, white American culture, and but it's on the left. I think that a lot of the um, virtue signaling of, oh, we love black people, it comes from this kind of sympathetic racism. Uh, whereas uh, typically a conservative will say, you don't need affirmative action. There are perfectly intelligent, uh, you know, hardworking black people who can succeed without this added benefit, right? There are certain, you know, there, women can succeed without this benefit. And the left says, well, no, but they really can't, you know. And what they'll say is, <clears throat> well, it's because of historic inequity, right? They'll say, well, because of historic injustices, they need this. But I'm not so sure that's what they think. I think that a lot of them think, well, black people are inferior, and so we need to adjust things so that they are held to a lower standard. And that, to me, is so insulting. Like, I, it's like to me, it's like, no, no. Ben Carson is not an inferior surgeon just because he's black. Um, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think consciously, mm-hmm. I think it's unconscious a lot of the times. I don't think it's conscious. I also think um, it's also due to their own, it has a lot to do with, them building up their own mm-hmm. social status, I think it, it um, helps them to mm-hmm. virtue signal um, for sure. Uh, so I think it, it's both of those those things. And I think I've experienced that myself um, because I think I'm a pretty yeah. competent person um, when I'm not, you know, struggling with other things that might be affecting that. And I've had people be surprised at what I can or want to do. It actually doesn't bother me that much because I, I have a strange personality in that way. But I haven't encountered that from, um, this is not to generalize, but from uh, white uh, progressives. I don't like talking about people like that. But I've I don't mind experienced it. that from people who <laughs> claim that they're for helping yeah. um, certain oh. groups. Like I've seen people be like surprised that I, like, I sell mm. my art sometimes. Or, you know, like, I'm mm-hmm. good at certain stuff. And uh, I don't think I'm average. Um, but I think it's interesting when I see people, like, you know, being like, oh, I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting that. I'm I, crap I, I, at I, everything. I, That's why I'm a YouTuber. <laughs> <laughs> when you fail at everything else, get a YouTube channel. Uh, I, I think you're great. <laughs> uh, have a good uh, Okay, so. And good at. T- like, tell me uh, a little bit about. Um, the differences you found moving from Jamaica to the United States, your perspective on that. What, what are the cultural differences that you found most striking? 
I'll start with before the political stuff because I actually didn't think about much of this for like five years because I was I came here for college and I was just focused on my studies. The biggest differences to me were actually nature, like the kind of animals oh, really? I would that's see amazing. were different. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. It, it sounds strange. No, it's like no, I was in a bubble, but that's really all that's, that I actually really totally makes sense. Yeah. To. And I was <laughs> like seeing trains like that was very new to me. So those are the things that I noticed. I, obviously, the snow. Where did you go to school? Um, I thought that people were a bit more. I went to Bard College in okay, the I Hudson see, Valley. So northeast. Um, so mm-hmm. like northeast um, kind of area. I thought that people were more polite, like kind of fake polite. Like they they, they were always very nice, but they didn't necessarily. Oh, that is the American way. Um, so those were the first things. <laughs> and then. <laughs> um, and then. And then I started noticing the more political stuff. And the biggest thing for me was actually I had moved to the city. I talk about this sometimes on my channel to live with my aunt. And I had a job as an EMT. And some of the people there were black and they were kind of mean to me. That was when I first started thinking about it. It was actually from other people being mean to me. Because I was like very well spoken uh, and stuff. They just they said that I was with the slave masters because I told them where I was from. Wow. Um, and like I can't remember the exact words anymore. I've mentioned it before, but they made some comments and they used the word proper. They like they just said something about me being proper in like a really snide way. And I knew it was because oh like I they okay. like I, I was talking to someone about it and they said they were probably Yeah, Desiree, why don't you talk all like, ghetto? and crappy why do you speak proper <laughs> english um yeah, that's not that's not right you're well, black you shouldn't they, talk like well, that i can oh, i can <laughs> well i also just i can't i literally can't talk like that like jamaicans have their own version right. of like creole but even then like i still would be talking formally when i'm like in a work i mean just this idea know? that and you're not like really not with like the, bla- the black people unless you speak in a poorly educated way or, you know, you're too proper. I mean, that's mental. That is mental. Yeah, that was that was really weird for me. And then also people would assume, like, what I thought politically. So that was a, the second thing. And that's when I started mm-hmm. thinking about politics. It was those two things. Um, and I was actually around a lot of progressive people before. And I didn't really think about that stuff then. Because they, they were kind of nice to me. But I didn't know stuff going on in the background and i also think a lot of these topics have ratcheted up um quite a lot since like 2010 which is when I oh yeah i mean certainly with the, the so uh, trump election a lot of things became yeah. more obvious yeah. are you pro-trump right. are you anti-trump right. do you have some kind um, of division on issues um i'm neutral i think if i could have voted because i can't i would have voted for him but I actually don't like some of I don't like some of his personality. I don't understand some of the foreign policy stuff. Um, but I I really was very disgusted with the media uh, smearing him and like calling him sexist, racist, etc. I think that um, you were talking about people being good and bad. I think that the good and the bad exists in both the yeah. the left and the right. I'm more. People call me libertarian, but I don't really label myself. I'm like kind of fiscally conservative and a bit more like socially right. liberal. So I'm I'm sort of well, neutral. I, I, I think that <laughs> and Trump, I don't like. 
I think the way the Trump speaks sometimes is a little bit ugly, yeah. especially in his earlier <clears throat> years um, as, as president. He's getting a little <clears throat> bit better now, <laughs> but he still occasionally says something that's kind of an ugly thing to say. And I think people confuse ugliness with evil, right? So people, but I could totally understand. Like to me, I would prefer if Trump, everything he said was said beautifully, you know, but I would prefer a president who spoke ugly and had good policies than a president who spoke beautifully and had terrible policies. That's sort of my position on Trump. Yeah, I, I, the personality thing is like, I guess it would be nice if you weren't like that, but that's also kind of why people. Well, in like New York, they, I feel like in New York they have this. I think I feel like New Yorkers have this um, idea <laughs> that if you, if you are honest, then you, then you know. You should be, I don't want to say tactless, but you should be blunt, right? You should be very clear about what you're saying. You're not just honest, you're brutally honest. And I think they've taken that to an extreme where if you do speak tactfully about something that you're trying to speak honestly about, you're not being perfectly honest. So there is this kind of tendency for some pe- some people in New York, a, a New York-type culture, to speak brutally every time you say something to be brutally honest about important things or else people are going to suspect that you're not being honest and so i think trump has really embraced that like he's to the point where he is tactless about things that he says because he feels like if i'm not tactless about that people aren't going to accept it as the truth and that that sort of like um i don't know what you would call it like extreme honesty uh, gets him into trouble because extremely honest being extremely honest to the point of being brutal it is an ugly way of speaking, and I think people look at that and they just be, are disgusted by him. That's kind of my theory about the the, the reasons mm-hmm. that Trump speaks the way he does, and the reason why some people love him and some people hate him. If they if they would if they would decode yeah, I, I if they would decode with, that, that you know that 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 sort of motivation, then I I think that the left wouldn't hate him quite as much. Um, I think. The left would still hate him. Just because he's conservative? <laughs> mm, actually, no, I think, I think they would have still found a way you're right, to smear you're right. him. C- certainly, certainly. However, maybe people wouldn't be won over so much by what the media was saying if you were a bit more diplomatic, maybe. All right, well, I think this was an, uh, an excellent discussion. I mean, I, I said a bunch of stuff. Is there another subject that you wanted to uh, uh, broach? There is one more thing that I would like to talk about uh, just to state my position on this because it's so common in U.S. politics today is what I was talking about, different groups being shielded from criticism um, and particularly in terms of politicians and how they use uh, certain quote-unquote protected groups as in not just human beings like everybody else, um, their identity as a way to manipulate mm-hmm. how people vote. You're like, you can't do this mm-hmm. to the X group or to the Y group or trying to pander to certain groups. Uh, I really, really, really don't like that. And I hope to see a change in that, a reversal um, in American politics. I think it's horrible. How, how do you think that, that we can do that? How do you think that we can get groups to just not vote in a herd mentality? Well, I think... I think we need more virtue in individuals, and I, that's the only way it could really affect change. Like the politicians deciding to not 
um, mm. run on a platform like that where they're pandering to groups and for the groups also or the individuals within those groups to not only be thinking selfishly of themselves because that's what it is. I don't know how to do that, I guess, through the teaching of morality. And it's probably a slow process and probably voices like mine yeah. being heard and not the ones that are the loudest nowadays. I'm sure I'm, I know I'm not the only one that thinks like this. And I do mean on both the left mm -hmm. and on the right. I think it's more on the left, but I think the right is starting to do that because it feels like the only effective way to get anywhere. And the conversation sort of always becomes mm -hmm. framed in that way. Well, when I was growing um, up in Oregon, so I would just say when I, when I was growing up in Oregon, uh, when I was again? growing up in Oregon, um, we we were I mean we had like leftist teachers. I don't think I had a single teacher that was a conservative, but they did teach us um, the the sort of uh, value of thinking for yourself, right, and being an individual as opposed to being part of a group. There is a tendency for people I do think to want to be accepted into a group. That's a very very strong motivation for people. But if you can somehow, I think, give people enough confidence and enough independent-mindedness to be able to go out and say, I'm going to not, not, not necessarily reject the values of my group just to reject the values of my group, but to say, I'm going to think critically about the values of my group and not simply accept them because they are the values of my group. If you can teach that outside of you know, where I grew right. up, if you teach that maybe in the black communities, um, you know, amongst women, because um, there is this value of solidarity, I think, within feminism, this value of solidarity within um, the black community in America or black culture in America. Um, and the same with like Latino culture. There is this idea in America of solidarity with your people. And I think that that, is, that should be less valued uh, against the value of sort of your individual perception of reality because to simply accept the values of the group over your own perceptions of reality i think that that will inevitably lead you down a road of delusion right because if you're just accepting what the group says because they're your group then you really are not paying attention to your world what one of the major differences i see is the difference between I always ask leftists, how many racists have you met in, in, in America? Like, how many self-avowed racists hmm. have you met? Like, white KKK people or something like that. And everybody says, oh, well, I haven't met any, but I don't spend time with people like that. Or I don't live in those areas of America. Okay, fine. Maybe there are areas with more people. Maybe you don't seek out those kinds of people. However, if you have met zero, if you have met zero self-avowed racists in America, how many can there really be? But if you watch CNN, America is crawling with white supremacists. I think that if it was as, there were as many white supremacists in America as CNN tells you, you would have met one, right? But I, I didn't meet any. My whole life, I never met one. So to me, appreciating my experience against what CNN was telling me was true made it very obvious that they were lying to us. You know? And I think that if people can do that and rely more on their own individual experience than just accepting the values that the group assigns to them, I think that we will have a lot more sensible voting 
They might not vote Republican, but maybe they'll vote for Tulsi Gabbard. I don't know. <laughs> they'll vote much more sensibly, you know. I do think that um, people can have mm-hmm. prejudices, but that's not necessarily racism. And it also, I think, exists in many different people, not just one yeah. race of people. Um, I personally didn't experience... I've experienced what I think could maybe be racism, um, but it's just not something I would focus on if everyone wasn't telling me to focus <laughs> on it. So I definitely rely on my own you know, experience of the world. And I think in some ways I have more freedoms here than I do like in the country I'm from. You know, it depends on what perspective you want to take. Um, and I would also say the way you define your group doesn't have to be by race. I didn't define myself by my race as when I was growing up. I didn't think about it either. It's just not how I grew up. You know, like I would hear songs that like talked about, you know, some kind of race. And I also read about it in mm-hmm. like books and, you know, the history of like colonization and all that stuff. But it wasn't a big part of my identity. It was part of it. And it always will be, but it, it wasn't like the overarching way I guide my life thing. I think that's very weird and creepy and it's just convenient and I I think it's strange personally. And I can't I can't rewire. No, I'm exactly the same. I I think Um, that perhaps when I travel Uh, it becomes more apparent that I, in fact, am an American. (laughs) But if I'm not traveling, uh, you know, I don't think of myself as white or, you know, my ancestors were mostly German. I don't really consider myself German uh, or, you know, my grandfather was Scottish. And uh, I like Scottish stuff. I like German stuff. I like European stuff. Um, I'm an American. I really, really love the fact that I'm an American. I, I... like a lot of people say I'm proud to be an American. I, it was always very hard for me to say that because um, I didn't feel like I deserved to be proud of it. I just felt like I was grateful, right? I, I felt like I should be grateful that I'm an American, um, that I was born here. Um, I'm a little bit more proud now that I have my YouTube channel. <laughs> like maybe maybe I'm helping to, in some small way uh, to push the country in the right direction. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I feel far yeah. more gratitude than I feel pride. Uh, uh, for my, you know, Americanness, my having been born here. Uh, I really appreciate this country and the freedoms that we have. And I think gratitude is something that's a little bit lost in, in our society currently. Yeah, I, I, I actually think gratitude might be a big part of the question you're asking about how people stop thinking in groups because a lot of the group think is, is about like solidarity yeah. and victimhood. And I think being grateful and understanding what you have could help yeah. could help a lot with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, being grateful for look, I don't think I'm related to anyone who developed like uh, you know, the light bulb or the f- telephone or the iPhone or the computer or any of this stuff. I don't think these are my relatives. So, I don't feel any kind of like racial pride for those inventions, you know. I know they were all invented by white people, but that does not right. that has nothing to do with me. Uh but I I appreciate that those people invented those things. All right. And I, I love that they did it. They might not have been really good people, but heck, they did, they did something that really benefited me. So I'm grateful to them, even though I, none of those people were related to me. I don't even think, well, I think the car was invented by Germans. But, but most of the stuff that's been invented in the world wasn't invented by my people or, or anything to do with me. But I, I appreciate it and I respect it. And there is this t- tendency to, you know... Uh, think, okay, well, white people did bad things historically, so white people are bad and need to pay for those things. 
some white people did bad things. Some people, white people did awesome things, right? I, I love the fact that my family is Christian. Um, right. But if you go back far enough, they were probably, you know, savages in the, in the German forests. Uh, and uh, I appreciate that the missionaries from, probably from Italy and the Roman Empire came up and, you know, shared the gospel with my ancestors. And, you know, different people did different things throughout history, uh, um, there's there's all kinds of achievements from every culture and lacking any kind of gratitude from other cultures just because you're not of that culture to me is a, you know a mistake and i think it's just a way for people to sort of justify their own resentment and hatred yeah i definitely think i i'm mostly agree with you i was gonna say that the same kind of duality in terms of like we were talking about genetics and culture. I think it's the same thing for like the individual yeah. and your heritage. And I think the way society is leading now is totally wiping out the, yeah. the individual um, as the the sole the person responsible yeah. for their actions. You know, we're not responsible for the actions of, of right. other people, even though we may be influenced. You're yeah. not. I'm only really proud of my own achievements. <laughs> but you know, you know what I think. Part of it is, I think, uh, mm-hmm. I think associating yourself with, a, identifying yourself with a group, gives you a, a greater benefit than relying on your own achievements or shortcomings to value your yourself. Because, and this is, I think this is why people become white supremacists, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, or also right black supremacists. Yeah, right. I like agree oh, I haven't done that much, but white people invented everything, so we win. It's like, but you didn't invent anything. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, some black people are like, yeah. oh, we have an amazing culture. Yeah, okay. But that does not increase your value personally, right? But, but it's, it's a much more, it's a, it's, yeah. it's a much easier way to value yourself. I think it's a very hard reality for people to accept, um, you know, that they are just, they, they have to no, rely I- on their own um, achievements, to value themselves. That's very hard for people who, you know, maybe don't feel like they've achieved enough or something. I think that anyone who's drawn to those kinds of ideologies, like you're mentioning, like either black or white or whatever other group or ethnicity kind of supremacy, it's a sign of Mm -hmm. insecurity. I think it's like almost like like affirmation for me of a sign of some sort of deeper insecurity in, in their own self. Um, and that, that's a lot of people. It's, it's okay to have insecurities. Uh, that's just like a very dangerous way. No, I think true self-confidence is recognizing your shortcomings and recognizing your value and being okay with, with having you know, some, some value and, and some shortcomings. I think that makes you a, really, a truly confident person. And I think it's possible that really what we can do to help society flourish is just to make everyone more confident. I think if everybody was like really truly confident with themselves, not fake confident, not don't you disrespect me because I'm Mm-mm. better, you know, I'm I deserve the, you know, the respect of a queen, you know, or whatever. You know, but real confidence where they can accept their own shortcomings and just work on themselves. Um if we can really increase that in society, I think everybody will vote Republican next in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think everyone would vote Republican. I think a lot of it is like inherent uh, that the society will, will mm. differ. Um, but I think there would be less polarization and less of yeah. this groupthink. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do think that. Which probably, it would probably go, you know, <laughs> s- somehow 
ties in with the whole socialist thing, right? This idea, their, their, their theme song, the socialists, I don't know if you watched the uh, social, like uh, the American Socialist Party or whatever it was, the, what was it? The, uh, the Democratic Socialists of America just had a recent event and they, 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 they sing this song. It's a, it's a, it's like a union worker song and it's about solidarity. It's all about solidarity. And, uh, and I think that that, I think that that, I think that what we're talking about bleeds into that. It's like individually, I may not be valuable, but as a part of this group, I do have value. And to me, I, I just hate that mentality so much. It's such an awful, toxic mentality to have. It's like, no, okay, forget the group. You are responsible for your own value. Well, I also think that politicians have a responsibility being aware of that social tribal nature of humans to harness it for good. And as an American politician, they should be focusing more on, on mm-hmm. people being Americans and what it means to be Americans. 